Greetings, most excellent Theophilus. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, it has been some time, and I don't want to talk too much about certain things that I'd like to bring up to you, Theophilus, just yet, because today we have a special guest. Um, I will be broaching some topics with him that I could broach with you here. Suffice to say, things have been interesting lately. <laughs> the 31st, there was a debate. And we will be having on in, for me, a bit from now, for you, through the magic of podcast making. Um, it will be fairly short. Um, <laughs> we will be having on The Black Doctor 21 um, to debrief what happened in the debate. Um, and next week, we shall have his debating partner, um, the Buck Rogers on to debrief yeah, from his perspective. <laughs> ah, what's the point of debating, Stephen? That's useless. That's pointless. Um, so everything Paul did in Acts, vying, pleading with the Jews, he shouldn't have been doing that because he was just debating with them. I mean, actually, what he was doing with them would have been less moderated than the formal debates that people in my circles want to have and try to have. Where there is a moderator, there are time slots. Um, I've had my own, finally, my first debate. I think I've already talked... Did I already talk about that on here? Yeah, no, because I, I had half a mind to review it last week. Um, I figured not to, but... Because there's, frankly, not much to review, sadly, and it's just a very embarrassing experience for the other person, I would say. Um, the point of debate is not to be right. For us Christians, the point of debating these topics, these important, important topics, is to let God be true and every man who differs a liar. Because there's a lot of people who will misuse the word of God. There are a lot of people who will say things against the word of God. And they need to be refuted. This is a standard in Scripture. We are called to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered. Um, now, I I am not a minister. I mean, I do have a ministry here. That's what my podcast is. I am not an ordained minister. I am laity. I've never said that I am otherwise. I have a pastor over me. And over me, first most, is Christ. Um, but I am, I'm not a lay man. I am laity, but I'm not a lay man. Um, I, I'm no, I, Hebrews describes those who need milk, who need the foundational things, the gospel principles. And there are those who are ready to move on to the deeper theologies the deeper study of God, the meat. Um, I'm there. I'm feasting upon roast beefs and smorgasbords of ham and pork and um, lamb chops and all sorts of um, vegan tear-inducing cuisine. 
And I believe when you move, when you transition from being that baby Christian, that infant in the faith who needs the milk so precious, when you move on to the deeper things, when you move on to the deeper things, you are now at a level of understanding, or you ought to be where you can and should, when you hear dissension from what is true, you must, you should advocate for the truth of the matter. Peter says we are to give an apologia, an apologetic, a defended response for the hope we have within us, and we must do so with gentleness and respect. Paul says that the overseer must, in Titus 1.9, holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Teaching what they ought not for shameful gain, as some translations put it. Hebrews describes the word of God as that which is sharper than any double-edged sword, rending, rending soul and flesh. This is the sword that I take into battle against people who differ, against people who bring forth not just a confused opinion, but outright heresy. And that is important. Is that for every single Christian? Not in the sense I do it. No, we are not all called to be apologists. For if everybody was a hand, where would the foot go? A warrior needs a citizen to defend. So I appreciate the laity less along in the faith as I, less given different gifts even in the faith than I, the old women of the church who are merely just those great motherly and grandmotherly figures to the youth of the church. They are great and they have and they do their part as God has so ordained them to do so. It's certainly a process. It's a matter of study, and I believe we are called to study. We are called to dig deeper into the scripture. Yeah. And with that comes greater and greater levels of responsibility to take what God has revealed to us in his word and to vie for that truth. To uphold that truth, to refute those who spit upon it. This is why I'm happy and desirous to have moderated, recorded debates so that I may have the dialogues that ought to be had. The audience can benefit, and ultimately it will be the audience who will benefit. I feel, if anything, I will be nothing more than a pebble on my opponent's road to salvation if God is so merciful. But really it's for the audience. It is for the audience to hear who is speaking consistently, who is speaking logically, coherently, who is proclaiming the sound comprehension of the word of our Lord, and who 
is holding on to mere tradition. Because it is okay. It is okay, my brethren and sister, and to have tradition. But our tradition must come under submission to the testimony of the word of God. What did the disciples of Zwingli conclude? He taught them sola scriptura, and they came to him and said, we do not see pedo-baptism in the scripture. And so, non est biblicum, non est theologum. If it is not in the Bible, it is not in our theology. And so, they left. This is why I will happily say, Semper Reformunda, always reforming to the testimony of Scripture. I like people who I listen to acknowledge that we do have traditions. Naturally, we do. We have our own preconceptions. That must fall to the wayside when the word of God says elsewise. This is why I have laid aside my former theological conclusions about God, the extension of God's sovereignty. I believe he is sovereign over whatsoever comes to pass whom he chooses to save and not to save. And I understand that there are people who are at different levels in their walk of God who this side of heaven may never recognize that the way I mean it. And I fear there are some who tiptoe the line of hindering, damaging the gospel account in their condemnation of these brethren in the faith who are less along as we. Who need to merely hear the consistent comprehension of scripture, not be chided as heretics. God has not given everyone the same gift. God has not graced everyone with the same degree of knowledge. Yes, I am shocked by the amount of people who say they know the biblical languages who don't get the plain readings of many passages so as to come to Geneva. But I cannot find in good conscience their condemnation for their inconsistency. Will I respond to the inconsistency and try to give what scripture is truly saying? Yes, I am a defender of the faith. That is why I want my next debate to be with an Arminian, to be with a provisionist, to be with someone who is not of my position. I feel that the only person who will be willing to step up to the plate will be an anti-Calvinist. And that's fine. My issue is not with the Arminian. My greatest issue is with the one who is vilely opposed to my position. Because when you accept the consistent, coherent, cogent comprehension. I'm out of C words <laughs> for the word of God, of the word of God. You will have the strongest response to the enemy of the faith. You want to know the best response to the Catholics? Listen to James White. 
Listen to the Great Debate series. Nine debates over the span of a decade. And I posit that that man won every one. Because the point of the debate is for God to be true and every man to be a liar, to bring forth consistent interpretation of the text. That is not what the opposition could bring forth. I said on this podcast, and I shall say it again, I was never opposed to Calvinism. I heard the arguments White was making, and I disagreed with what he concluded, but I acknowledged that they were consistent with what he was drawing his conclusions from. And we live at a time where this is very important. It is so fundamental to know where you stand. Because we don't know how long the Lord will tarry with us, but the way the world is going right now, if things don't start getting better, they will only get worse and they will get harsher. The church in this part of the world has been let to flourish for so long that I fear the time may be upon us where those who are of the faith in truth and not only in proclamation, I fear it is the time when the wheat will be separated from the tear. When dark agents will come and will rumble the church, and there will be those who stay true and they will be persecuted. And there are those who will not stay true and they will fall away. And then there are those who will not stay true in the persecution. And they will fall away. And it is so important to be certain in where you stand. Because it will greatly impact where you stand on that day. When that time comes, when your faith is tested. Why settle for less in a defense? When you are offered Kevlar, why will you settle for wool? When presented with modern uniform, why would you settle for the older, less advanced? When you are offered the consistent, coherent, solid, and you're offered the golden chain of redemption that cannot be broken. What a foolish remark I ever made. Why would you settle for the string that can be cut? Because if you settle for string, you will always have to be tying up loose ends with the atheist ends that you can never fully mend. If God loves every single person, why does he let bad things happen to them? He doesn't let, let? As if God must hold himself subject and accountable to something outside of himself? God is not the victim of the cosmic card dealer. 
He is the ordinator of time. He works everything out according to his eulogetos, according to his good pleasure, according to his divine counsel. He is not subject to what we will do in time. We in time are subject to what he has ordained. And you will say to me, then, how does God find fault? But what does Paul say when he knows you will answer the same? Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Will the thing molded say to the one who molded it, Why have you made me this way? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from one lump vessels for honorable use and other vessels for dishonorable use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his power... Oh, sorry, I should just read it verbatim. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he also called. He says this only a chapter after he describes this group of the called, the eclect, the elect of God against whom no one may bring a charge. When I look back on the songs I used to and still do sing, I understand them now more deeply than I ever did. It is not about what you've done, but what's been done for you. I encourage you, believe in a reconciliation that reconciles definitely. Believe in a salvation that saves definitely. Believe in an atonement that truly appeases God's wrath against sin. That we can only understand it that way if we acknowledge that it's been so for the people of God who will be redeemed. Else, double jeopardy. Or else we make those words mean less than they are meant to mean. We take away from the power of the words. I pray you come to the place, O oh listener, O oh Theophilus, where you can read Romans 8, 35? Where you can read with the same conviction as your own words, Romans 8, 37, onward, uh, 38 onward, my apologies, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I mean that with every fiber of my being, if you are in Christ, if he has redeemed you, if he has saved you, there is absolutely nothing that will separate you from him, because salvation is in the hands of God. Be honest with yourself, do the soul searching, if it was in your hands, even an ounce, even 1%. God gives 100%, and you must give 1%. If you truly know what the Bible says about your heart, you know you would never give that 1%. And when you realize this reality, 
your whole perspective on the Word of God and the promises of God and your relationship with God will start to change for the better. And you will have peace. Because you know no matter what, God's got you. God is redeeming you. God is working in you to will and to work. Second Philippians, then Philippians 2. Is that Philippians 1? So I urge you, my brethren, and I must prepare because I told our guest basically that we're going live together in four minutes. Oh, well, that's awkward. <laughs> All righty. Hello. Hello there. <laughs> I popped over to TikTok to respond to your message, and then I popped back, and uh, <laughs> this started. Okay, hope that doesn't mess with the audio. <laughs> so, well, I mean, Theophilus, well, depending on who's watching this episode, they might not be terribly familiar with you. Uh, I suppose a brief introduction would be in order. Uh, indeed it would be. Um, for those who know me and those who don't, uh, my name is Jeremiah Short, also known as the Black Doctor. Many of you guys can find me on uh, my TikTok, Black Doctor Twenty One, but you can also find me on my corresponding YouTube channel, The Black Doctor, and uh, my corresponding Instagram as well. Um, I do uh, I do apologetics. I do. Um, debates uh basically all things theology in relation to you know understanding what heresy is debating the cults Mm -hmm. uh church history uh things of that matter so um if you guys want to learn more about that just just follow me Mm -hmm. yep he is a great and beloved brother in the faith even if he does think we should baptize our babies (laughs) Uh uh uh-huh uh-huh that's that's why i'm a good brother Uh, that's a that's a debate but i'm tis for another time very, very particular debate are we not uh indeed we are indeed we are yes so well, i guess beginning what did you think about the debate that um noel uh myself and then alternate media brad and alternate media Seamus had on the issue of Torah observance. It felt more like a vaguely moderated discussion than a debate because there was so much kind of loosey-goosey going on. Yeah. Which, I mean, I get, I heard the mods explanation for why it was that way, and I get that. Um, I'm just partial to the James White style of debate. Uh, as am I. I mean, I, I agree. There there should have been a little bit more structure to it because everything based – well, the first few parts of the debate went well in relation to like the opening statements and the first few questions that we asked one another. Yes. But it sort of fell through in the, uh, in the cross-examination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I definitely a- agree with your particular assessment of the, the structure of the debate. We tried – well – Noel and I tried as hard as we could to formulate the discussion originally in a format very similar to um, James White and Michael Brown's discussion with Anthony Buzzard and the other uh, Socinian on the deity of Christ. Ah, 
And so, right? And I tried to take that structure and present it to the guys, but then uh, our, our, our friend Will basically modified it a little bit. So we, we basically went with that. Okay. Um, were you expecting Buck to come out the gate kicking? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Buck, Buck really, um, he is, he has been more emotionally invested in this issue because mm-hmm. um, Brad and Seamus used to be his friends. I mean, if, if you remember some of the stuff earlier, they used to have, well, he was a guest on their, uh, on their channel before, but yeah. this, was, this was before he knew that they denied the deity of Christ, that they were, um, that they were more like the Hebrew roots. And he, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot more backstory into this issue for him. I see. So, I mean, it, it, is, it is to be expected that he came out swinging. And, and also, we, we have to remember that this is Noel's first debate, his first moderated debate. Mm-hmm. He's, he's used to dealing with people in relation to, like, uh, progressive Christians or um, the super liberal people who come on his channel and just you know, argue with him about particular things. This was a different environment for him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, it's just not his environment. Right. So, yeah. So, so to a lot of the people who are basically criticizing him for his attitude and his behavior there, I, I'm not excusing either side but I'm saying to understand the context in which he's doing so. Right. Right. Um, and I think because the reality of the situation is he was right when he identified they deny the deity of Christ. And that yep. is a salvation issue. Yep. Uh, that is, that is one of the first most things. And well, you, you certainly know me. This is, I, I can defend the divinity of Christ from the, from the, the scriptures using the original tongues. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, if there's to be a follow-up debate, I would, if I could put my vote in, I would say it should be on the divinity of Christ or the nature mm. of the Trinity. Right. Well, actually, to give you a bit of a, a, a sneak peek, um, if you've heard of the complete sinner's guide on TikTok, they are going to have a debate with alternate media, Brad and Seamus on the deity of Christ in the oh 24th of February. I will have to save the date. <laughs> you would. It's, it's, I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, I'm really excited. And they've been um, com- the complete sinner's guide and uh, proselyze or apostatize uh, the two people who are going to be debating alternate media have been mm-hmm. a great help to uh, to myself and to Noel and to Andrew and Blake. So I would I would highly recommend you check them out. Yes. So not to detract from you because I still very much want to hear you decompress any and all thoughts you can have to get out right now. But um, uh-huh. I've, I like Buck, apparently, I have had my first 
ever moderated debate. Right. How was that? It, oh boy, I guess that means you haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> it, it, um, it depends on how you want to define whether or not a debate went well. Did I present my argument well? Yes. Did my opponent um, have an opening statement? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm still flabbergasted as to how this happened. It was advertised as a debate. Uh-huh. We were given a schedule that said 10 minutes, opening statement, 10 minutes, cross-examination, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum. And this guy still didn't even realize he was expected to have an opening statement. It, it seems I, to me that you have had something similar to the background of what happened in my debate against uh, Sonny, your preacher of righteousness. Because there were things about the debate that he did not understand, even though he accepted it on multiple occasions. And then when the debate fell through, he got upset. Yeah, that was an interesting encounter as well. Um, but at least he had something prepared. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I'm more just embarrassed that the opposition didn't have a decent representation. Right. So basically, like, in, in, by debate standards, you would have won the debate, but you didn't feel like you actually had anything to actually debate. Well, he did have some arguments, but yes, in terms of formal debate rules, he would be disqualified by not even really preparing. Of right. course, as I as I gave in the introduction for this podcast, I I hold to I think a a good Christian standard for what a debate should be, and that's bring forth the testimony of the word. Let God be true, and every differ differing man a liar. Yeah, uh, and it's for the audience to see and to hear, um, and for them to judge. Yeah, you're right. Speaking of which, before we we return to letting you spill your guts about the the, the adventure, um, I already have my next debate lined out. Ooh. So I wanted to have a discussion with a non-reformed, but I feel like that's going to take a while. So in the meantime, me and Kyle are finally going to have a formal discussion about our initial disagreement. Which is? Uh... Jesus being a Nazarene. Ah. Remember the, the scenario that you had to intervene with? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Goodness. We, that was, a, that, that uh, was like a while ago, but it was. It was. Um and it's I, I'm I'm happy for it. I have my opening statement already. I've struggling to fill the proper time. I've been joking with him, man. I just need to keep singing your praises more to fill up the time. Um <laughs> Because this, as I put, well, I don't want to give away too much of what I'm going to say, but I will be, this will probably be the one debate I really have where I can really feel good about it. Mm. Because this is not me, this is not God using me to vie for another person's soul. 
Right. This is two brothers having a silly squabble. Um and we can we we have that unity we can joke we can be sarcastic with each other um and i intend to poke a little bit of fun i mm-hmm. i've told him he's he's suggested me moderating some of his debates when he finally gets someone to have one with him and i was like dude i'm if i do i'm definitely going to be the chris arnson kind of moderator um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know like Here's a brother whose Nazarite vows lead me to drink. And his only problem with it is I don't cut my hair. (laughs) Uh, You know, things like that. Um, ah, And and I'm happy with that. And regardless of how the outcome is, I'll be happy right after to go on to his live and be lockstepped in the trenches of a, talking to atheists, Muslims, whatever comes our way. Yeah, that's that's really the debates that uh, that I like to see, especially like it, it really does remind me of the ones between James White and Michael Brown on Calvinism, where they can they can literally go toe to toe with one another, but yep. leave the uh, leave the debate field hand in hand as brothers. Uh, in Christ, and, and and really, whenever that thought comes to mind, it's like the the small video that they had where they're they're literally training and boxing with one another, and they're just cracking jokes about each other's theology, and it's so <laughs> hilarious just to see brothers just poke fun at one another and oh, not yeah. get not get offended at each other. Right, and that's no. that's so rare on Christian TikTok today. Right. And that's that's the kind of relation that that our friend group kind of on TikTok and on Discord, we have that that love language of sarcasm with each other. Right. It's like it's only the other night I realized it's like, wait, I have a new love language. Sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) Forget words of affirmation. Here's sarcastic jabs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Words of defamation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh wow that it's and it's a great opportunity to show people that a debate is not trying to kill the other person yes it's it's about arguing what what is really being said and the great example of the fact that look we we we're at different points We're, we're at different points in our walk we have different views we can still be united. We can still be brothers. We can still love one another. That's the way. And I don't know. I wish I wish more people could learn from that unity and could be what's the term? De stereotype. De no, there's a different word for it. Destigmatize. Yes. The notion of debate. Right. But speaking of that, I'll. I'll be silent about what I'm doing, and what would you, where would you like, where would you like to start debriefing? Uh, honestly, I mean, in relation to we, making previous comments about the debate that I had with Brad and Seamus, we've already discussed um, Noel's behavior, and I, I honestly think that we should discuss mine as well. Um, when I when I ask people about my uh, 
I'm sorry, let me move. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. When I when I asked people about my uh, behavior in the debate, a lot of people said that, <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I was too nice. And I I, I get it. I, I do get it. Because it it this particular discussion was in a realm that I am not usually um this is not usually my area. Mm-hmm. My area is usually dealing with, you know, Muslims, it's dealing with um uh the Trinitarian heretics, things like that. And so as I was out of my I was out of my area, I was out of my comfort zone, I tend to be a bit more uh piecemeal than uh you know hammered down. <laughs> and it, it sort of and to be honest with you, it sort of provided a reflection between mm-hmm. the two groups. For for example, a lot of a lot of people in the debate compared myself and my demeanor with Seamus and they compared Noel's behavior with Brad's. Um, Brad and Noel were the more firebrands and heavy-handed people and Seamus mm-hmm. and I were the more calm, cool, and intellectuals. Mm-hmm. The only problem is my kindness led me to be slack in pressing my opponents. I could have pressed them a lot more when they made stupid comments about Acts chapter 15 or where they um, really didn't actually involve the text and just leaned upon uh, extra rabbinical tradition and then place it into the text instead of dealing with what the text says. I mean, if, if anybody's seen my, my lives that I participate when dealing with Muslims or oneness people, one of my favorite comments to say is deal with the text. And mm-hmm. I never said that in this debate. I never pressed them to do that in this debate. I, I instinctively took a defensive position, mm-hmm. which was because of, my, because of my nervousness and because of the newness of this environment. Which I would suggest put put me at an adva- a disadvantage, especially in relation to keeping up with Noel. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, it, it led me to getting interrupted more. And even when I tried to, you know, press a little bit harder, the comments didn't make it any better. <laughs> because any time I tried to open my mouth and trying to interject, I always got the claim of "You're always interrupting him." Uh, which I I have I need to con- I need to continually remind myself that I don't need to listen to the behavior of heretics who have already dismissed me from the beginning. Right, because any single time that they claim that you've done something wrong is because you're not letting them raw raw and rally up the crowd. Right. You're asking them to deal with the subject at hand. And therefore, they right. will attack it's to the point character. I coined it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's and one way that it manifests, it's to the point where I've coined the term the fallacy fallacy. When your only argument is to accuse us of committing logical fallacies, right? Can you define which fallacy it is? No, it's just a fallacy. <laughs> Do you know what ad hominem is? I like I like James White's description of ad hom in the the Tassie debate. Mm. Um, it'd be like oh, it'd be like saying he's wearing he's wearing a pink tie, so he's wrong. 
not an argument. <laughs> I don't care how much you hate pink ties. That's not an argument. <sighs> but I mean, like it, it was, um, I honestly think in relation to the actual discussion of the arguments, I think mm-hmm. I held my own and I think my position stood. If you actually listen to the comments that I had made, like paying very close attention, not only in the cross-examination, but in the ending, I pointed out their main errors in the debate because I was pretty much the only one who gave an official closing statement, which actually dealt with the events in the debate. Because I, I, I wanted to point out something. In a debate, in an official moderated debate with debate rules and such, you do not, absolutely do not write your closing statement before the debate. (laughs) Because your closing statement is supposed to be a review of the events in the debate. Yep. But in in this particular discussion, Seamus wrote not only the opening statement, but the closing statement. Brad said it himself because he couldn't read his own closing statement. Right. Right, that moment. I'm just like, how how is it how is it going to be that you were the one who were challenged who was actually challenged to this debate by Noel? And yet you take a complete back seat to your guest. Well, basically this happened on both sides, to be honest with you. The, pe- the, t- the two people who were supposed to actually debate the issue were overshadowed by their guests. Yeah. And I think that speaks to what um, alternative media admitted is that Seamus is the backbone. He is. And that's well, that's he, honestly he's, exemplified. The, he's the intellectual backbone. Mm-hmm. And and Brad is very good at being rah rah the troops. He's the um, rhetorician. Yeah. Until he tries to debate me on TikTok and accuses us of not having the words of the apostles preserved. Or, um, or accuse <laughs> me of not actually dealing with history. When he disagrees with Michael Kruger, basically the student of Bart Ehrman, and then tried to use Bart Ehrman against me. Yeah. And you, do you have some sort of, do you happen to have some sort of educational tattooed piece of a dead tree on your wall about church history? Um, I mean, aside from my uh, Bachelor's of Science in Vocational Christian Ministry, which one of the main things in relation to this issue was dealing with patristics, and having having spent two years of schooling at Westminster Theological Seminary, where my strongest and highest applying classes were on the issue of ancient church history and medieval church history, and my particular expertise is in the Antonicene fathers, especially the ones in the second and third centuries. But I I guess I just don't know about history. Right, right, right. Of course. Are you like, what, do you think you're smarter than Thomas Aquinas? No. (laughs) 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 You know? I... 
but but but, I, but Stephen, but Stephen Thomas Aquinas was anti-Semitic, so we don't need to listen to him. Oh, right, right, right. Just like Martin Luther. Anyway, <laughs> um, but no, to 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 defend what I've said to my audience, I I will chide people who bolster themselves by what's hanging on their wall when it's clear that it, that's the only evidence of their study. Right. Black doctor, that's not the only evidence of his study. This man clearly knows his stuff. He's earned what's on his wall. He doesn't just have it there so he can talk behind a podium. I don't usually talk behind podiums. (laughs) I, I, I don't like, no, I mean, like, it's like, I don't get a voice in the high places. I don't, I'm, I'm just a black guy on the internet. I don't get places of honor. I don't get seats of honor. Because I don't know people. I study to show myself approved. And really, in order to get popular, it's not, it's not what you know. It's who you know. And, and it's even worse because, like, they, they, they talk about, you know, knowing, knowing people or, or, or um, let's see, Seamus really tries to lean upon the fact that he graduated from Liberty University. He came in as a Christian and then came out a, a Torah observant. And then he uses the example of Captain Dadpool, who, um, who came in Liberty University as a Christian and then left an atheist. I'm going to be honest with you. If you're going to use a particular example, don't use someone as antagonistic and as uncharitable and has said some of the stupid things, stupidest things in the entire world in relation to scripture and history as Captain Dadpool, who basically does the exact same thing that we criticize as placing their, their, their degrees on their wall and basing all of their expertise on that. So what I'm hearing is if you want to apostatize into abject heresy, go to Liberty University. For some reason, I guess. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry, Theophilus, uh, there's a chainsaw in the background. Um, if you can hear that. <laughs> Probably can. Um, I did realize it was going to be quite that loud. When I basically okayed my father to do that. <laughs> well, okay, and, not that he has any bearing, but he was being considerate of my space. Yeah, um, that, I mean, that, that's all fathers do. We, I mean, one thing that shows is that we live in an environment and we live in a community where men are hard at work, that fathers are in the home, and that builds a, a strong environment for theologically inclined folks. Um, yeah, <laughs> let's see what to talk about. What, where to go well, there? there, there was, let's see, how, how, what was your perspective on how the cross-examination went? Because as I noted in my closing statement, we only dealt with two passages. Mm-hmm. Acts 15 and then Matthew chapter 7. No, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. We didn't even get most of the time through verse 17, but, but that's, that's besides the point. What did you think about their exegesis of Acts chapter 15? Oh, goodness. It's, it, it's, I think 
can't it's abysmal <laughs> um um, and because I am familiar with that passage from dealing with Catholics, um, because it is it is James who says ego crino, not Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think it's just clear in the New Testament that the circumcision talked about is it's merely the circumcision that like there there's not a lot of element to it that points to oh this legal conversion um, right. Paul chides the circumcision made with human hands, not the circumcision done in the court. Like, right. Um, the, those things are related. Those things are definitely related. Hence the hence hence their question of you know which one. It, it's both. They're interrelated to one another. It is right. the physical act of circumcision that put one into the nation of Israel. It is right. very similar to what <laughs> I should have brought this up. It is very similar to what mm-hmm. happened in the medieval age where your baptism made you a citizen of the mm-hmm. state. Right. Yes. Sacralism. Um, I, I really ap- appreciate, I don't appreciate the response, but I appreciate the question. I think you, I believe I could be wrong. I think it was you who broached um, how this could be a burden that neither we nor our fathers could bear from the lips of Jews, not converts. Right. If it is conversion. Right, exactly. I was, I, I was looking for a, a, a source that I was using. Um, and um, I believe it was William Hendrickson. He notes that in Jewish tradition, the yoke is the Mosaic law. And Jesus uses that particular language in order to contrast the Mosaic law to his own yoke. And when he says, you know, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. Uh, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it is a, it is a contrast between the, the, the yoke of the Mosaic law, which was placed upon the Jews, which they, they could not bear even when they were raised up on it. Because and, the law, mm-hmm. and 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 like like I noted in the debate, it's inconsistent to argue that they need to learn it wholesale for them to, or to not learn it wholesale when even they didn't learn it wholesale when they grew up with it. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it's because the law of Moses is "Do this, and ye shall live." The law of yep. Christ is. Love, you were loved first. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's the new covenant is solely focused on the covenant by grace, whereas God has saved by grace in every covenant. The Mosaic covenant, well, it's about the keeping of the land, and it is by work. Yep. Yep. I mean, what does what does Hosea say? Like like. Like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. They dealt faithlessly with me. Hosea is acting as covenant lawyer, covenant prosecutor. That's what the prophets were when they brought judgment against Israel. They were basically the case lawyers. <laughs> and so they, they actually relate the covenant of Moses, where they are, are supposed to be righteous in order to stay in the land, and they contrast it or, or compare it, mind you, uh, to the covenant of works with Adam in the garden. 
And so there is a principle based on works. However, in relation to the Ten Commandments, before the whole ceremony of these things we will do, you have the preamble of the Ten Words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So first, in relation to the moral law, there's a recognition of the salvation of the Lord. You are not doing these things so that you might earn my favor. You are doing these things because I have delivered you. Right. I, doing my, my Torah read through, I notice in Leviticus over and over, it says, for I am Yahweh who sanctifies. Yes. Uh, we don't sanctify ourselves. Yahweh, right. God sanctified. It's, it's what I said in, in the introduction that you, you were not privy to. I, I actually got into my, my whole appeal to the Arminian. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I, just, I think scripture is just abundantly clear. Salva- what does it say? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yep, exactly. And it's, it's amazing because it takes, a, it takes a particular meaning in the book of Leviticus because it says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you, meaning I am the Lord who sets you apart from all the other nations. That's why you are not, not supposed to do these particular things. This is why you're not supposed to eat these particular foods. And then it translates into the New Testament where Jesus declares all foods clean. And he says in in Acts chapter 10, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. Mm -hmm. And and, and what is the the immediate context in Acts chapter 10? People, the Gentiles. God has cleansed the Gentiles. And what were the things that made the Gentiles unclean? It was primarily their consumption of particular foods. Mm -hmm. So it, it, you, you've got to realize, especially in relation to the acts of Jesus, that Jesus is the one who actually reverses those particular things in his ministry. For example, he cleanses lepers, not, not simply by declaring them clean, but he touches them and cleanses him by his hands. The Mosaic law says, you shall not touch a leper or else you will be made unclean by touching them. But mm. Jesus violates that law by touching them and cleansing them himself. He I, wonder what the says, response, I wonder what the response would be to that. I'm not sure. Mm. I, I wonder what they would say because like, and immediately afterwards, it says, you know, go present yourself to the priest under, uh, as is told by Moses. And they would immediately say, wait, he's still doing what the law says. But they forget, Jesus says, as a proof to them. Mm-hmm. It is as a showing that Christ has the authority to cleanse, not the Mosaic law. He right. has authority over the Mosaic law as the greater Moses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he even goes so far as to give a new command. A new yes. command I give to you. I, I, I what? <laughs> But, but God was the one who gave the commands. Oh, wait, he's God. <laughs> exactly. He, he was the one who gave the commands at Sinai. <laughs> I, I, I'm shocked for people who claim to study Judaism so much. My conclusion of, of my study of the, Ju- of the Jewish mindset from what the Old Testament says 
the only way Jesus could have been more clear in his deity would be if he said, look, I'm Yahweh. Guys, it's me. Hi. Hello. Burning bush. Mm-hmm. That's me. <laughs> well, technically, he did when he called himself the I am. He did. He. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just find it amazing because like Brad and well, Seamus particularly has said in at least one of his videos that he feels more at home in a Jewish synagogue than in anywhere else. Because he doesn't feel at home in the Christian church, Christian churches. The Messianic Jews don't want him because he wears his, uh, his tzitzits and his, his affirmation of, of Jewish tradition. And also primarily his denial of the deity of the Messiah. That's, that's really a big one. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't know that the Messianics weren't necessarily on board with the tzitzit. The, some of them are, some of them aren't. Ah, interesting. Because I mean, the blue cord um, does represent the one thing that we still have in the New Covenant, which is the Decalogue. Uh, yep. <laughs> so <sighs> it, it's weird. I, I mean, like I've I've said multiple times in relation to to our friends Brad and Seamus. Really, if you actually analyze your theology. You're Orthodox Jews who merely claim Jesus. And that right. is not the same as a Second Temple Jew con- converting to Christ. Mm-hmm. That is not the same. Mm-hmm. To, to define a second century Jew coming to Christ would be something like the Messianics. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that- really the relationship between the old and new um, the Jewish the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are pretty much the same dynamic that we have between us as Christians, as Gentile Christians, and the Messianic Jews. We're unified, but we have different practices. Mm-hmm. You know, except for when, like, I exercise my freedom in Christ and some healthy piety and wear a Talit church. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, I think, I think well, for me, part of it's, it's I, I find that to be a reminder of the shortest verse in the Bible, unceasingly pray. Um, yeah. That's that's neither here nor there. Um, what what were your thoughts on? Well, I, I mean, we were already discussing Acts chapter fifteen, but what do you think about their interpretation of Acts fifteen twenty one for uh, uh, James's reason for giving these um, for giving these four commands? Which I pointed out, two of them aren't even explicitly in the Torah, in the six hundred and thirteen minutes volt. I I intended to give a re listen. Um, of the debate today before we did this, but I did not. Do you remind me what their response was? Well, I mean, their their explanation of this position is that James is basically saying, well, these people are already going to be expected to go into the synagogues. So just give them these four things is basically a Torah starter pack and they'll learn as they go. They're going to be expected to go into the synagogue. Where? You have the party of the circumcision saying you need to get <laughs> like they're clearly having to be told what's expected of them. Mm-hmm. And so what they decide at the council is to be expected of them is just simply what they send out. They're not going to right. understand what's different until the epistles of Paul come. Right. Which really some of the epistles of Paul had already come out already. The Galatians, the, the book of Galatians came out historically, two years before the Jerusalem Council. 
Interesting. So Paul was because... already ranting and raving about the issue of the covenant of, of the of circumcision and and justification and obedience to the Mosaic law before it happened. I mean, there, there's a reason why, particularly, you don't hear about the story of Acts 15 in the book of Galatians because it hadn't happened yet. If it was, then Paul would have used it. Would he have not? Right. Which I think is is a presumption I've heard in a debate probably with a Catholic about this is that it was decided here and then Paul codifies it in his letter. Galatians isn't a papal bull from what you just said. (laughs) Exactly. Paul isn't even the Pope. (laughs) So, I mean, like, and, and even then the repetition, you don't find this, this particular explanation in the letter that is specifically sent to give to the Gentiles. They say, therefore, it seems good to the Holy Spirit that we do not lay a burden upon you, except you abide by these four things. If you do these things, you will do well. Farewell. There is no expectation of them to say, oh, yeah, by the way, head to the synagogues to learn more. Or, hey, by the way, you're going to get some more stuff. You're going to get some more letters from us later. Instead, as we see in Acts chapter 21 and later on, James repeats these things when he tells when he tells Paul, you know, we know that I mean, we know good and well that you are zealous for the law. But as for the Gentiles, we told them to abstain from these four things. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it's never been some interesting Seamus trying to push me in his comments about um well i i are our laws done away with in the new testament what laws how do we know that they're still there and it's like what does james identify when he talks about breaking the law he goes to the decalogue within the yep. decalogue are where his examples come from not from outside and as i pointed out in my opening statement the moral law in romans chapter two and three that, that these things are what Paul says that are, are written in our hearts. That the Gentiles who did not have the 613 mitzvot vote do instinctively. I mean, we see this especially in relation to literally the book of Genesis. We, we see that um, uh, lying is wrong. That adultery is wrong. That, that stealing is wrong. That homosexuality, yep. of all things that they argue about, is wrong. Which, it's, it's the thing that I, this is my argument that I give when I want to question them, and I have yet to get a good answer. A good answer, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a good answer to the follow-up is, so are you saying we can break the law in not following Leviticus 2013? Hmm. Well, I mean, it, it, well, because because we don't because we don't have our we don't have the priests we don't have the two or three witnesses we can't actually do the 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 judicial parts of the law. So that means it's okay for us to violate the Torah when when the Torah itself tells us do not add or take away from these things. Right, right. It's like they're not I, consistent with their own rhetoric. And you've seen my my video on me expounding upon my what what was blessedly happened to be the first question in the Q and A section, 
mm-hmm. um, about Hebrews eight thirteen, right? Uh, which I think Seamus did a terrible job, abysmal job, responding, to. and he has yet to respond to my comment. It was Brad rather who responded to the video. What did uh, Brad say? I mean, I gave you some pieces of it. Uh, I mean, like. Like in fullness, because I, I want us to actually go to Hebrews chapter eight, because if you actually read the passage verse by verse, which, of course, our Torah observant friends can't do, as you as we discussed or as we saw in the debate, they can't actually go verse by verse through a particular text. They have to jump from one place to the other. We could not stay in Acts 15 for the life of us. Right. Um, are you on? Do you have a secondary device that you could maybe go to my video and go through? Because I'm, I'm not signed into TikTok on anything other than my phone. I can't find my other phone. And if I leave this, I feel like this screen is probably something's going to mess up, I feel like. Let's see. So my hands are sadly technologically tied right this second. Let's see. The CEO of Context. I, I did. I couldn't find my other phone. I did want to go over that. Um, because it's it shows I think the reality of their situation that they don't want to admit is that they do re- they, they have to at its core reject the testimony of scripture in its reality right um, exactly so is it is it your most recent video no no it's it's still that one that's like the the me taking a clip from the YouTube video ah okay um, and for some reason, I don't think the comments are exactly in order. Okay, there's a context that is, that is absolutely required. Hebrews 7 for 10 is not about, uh, okay, so first of all, the Old Covenant is not the Torah. The Old Covenant being spoken of in Hebrews 7 for 10 is specifically about priesthood. It has everything to do with whether or not Jesus can be a high priest in heaven because he's not a Levite. So in Hebrews 8 13, which if I'm not mistaken, uh, doesn't even contain the word covenant. But again, is. He's wrong. <laughs> right. He's blatantly wrong. It does oh. contain the word covenant because, oh, I mean, what is, he, I what is he talking about? Right. No, believe me, I point that out if you hear my response. Yeah. Like I'm I go, like, over, I go over the passage uh, in my response. Just uh, wow! But one of the first things, and I pointed this out to you, one of the first things Brad tried to do was he he lied. He lied about the meaning of the passage. The word "new" in the Greek it means new. The Hebrew yeah. word means new. The argument that, oh, it just means renew, like when it's used, like when you sharpen a blade, obviously there's not a new edge. Yes. Yes, there is. That's how the words it, work. It is. But I mean, what, what, what is he, what is he comparing? He's comparing the verb to the noun or to mm. the adjective. The adjective specifically means new. Yes. And, and like, what, what is the, let me let me actually find. Um, oh, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there are no occasion to look for the second. Verse eight: I will establish a new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will declare a new covenant. A new, a new, a new co- no, 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 doctor, doctor. That just means it's the same covenant. <laughs> it's just been reinstated. Mm-hmm. And Let's you see, know, the 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 word is the adjective is kainos, which means as as Mounts defines it, new, latest, a new, 
In some context, new is superior to old. The concise Greek-English dictionary of the New Testament defines it as new, of new quality, unused, unknown or unheard of, or the latest thing in Acts chapter 17, verse 21. Huh, interesting. Mm. Mm, and calling yes. this covenant new, the first is made obsolete, and we know that what is withering shall soon pass away. Mm-hmm. Huh. So why, oh. if this is talking about the, um, well, it if this even is, mm-hmm. if this is talking about merely the priesthood, why is he bringing up the covenant? Right, because his claim is he basically he separates, which doesn't make sense. Now this is actually an unbiblical category of saying that the Levitical priesthood is a different covenant. No, it, it's the same. It's it's the law. It's part of that yeah. gives us the Levitical priesthood. Yeah, that, that, I mean that's what I said in my response. Um, it's in context. It's clearly, it's just bluntly talking about the whole of the Torah. It's a different covenant, not like the one made with your father. Not the uh, one made with their fathers when I took them out of the hand of Egypt. The covenant that they broke, even though I was a husband to them. Right. Um, yeah yeah and it's not even sure what to say anymore (laughs) (laughs) like i'm just i'm i'm shocked at the the mincemeat that they have to do in order to to make this position well so so let's let's actually let's actually walk through uh actually hebrews chapter eight Um, Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old, as or because the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So what is he talking about? What's the first? The first what? The first covenant, verse 6 onwards, describes the covenants. There would have been no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault with them when he says, so who, who is the them? Those who were within the covenant. Mm. The covenant is not faultless because of the covenant in and of itself, but because of the, the people's inability to obtain it. Nobody says that the covenant was useless or that the covenant was evil. The covenant was good. It was good because everything that God sends is good. The covenant of works in, with Adam was good if he had done it appropriately, yep. but he could not. Therefore, he quotes Jeremiah 31. And so he says, in speaking of a new, he makes the first obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. So this is this 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 context. The book of Hebrews was written while the temple was still standing. Mm-hmm. So he says that the Mosaic covenant is growing old and is passing away. That's why we see Jewish people still participating in some of the sacrifices like Paul does. 
he he fulfills the sacrifice of the Leverite of the uh, of the Nazarite vow, not specifically for himself, but for the people that he is affirming. He's not saying this sacrifice will cleanse my sins, right? Because of what he has already described in Galatians chapter three. Mm-hmm. So we see Jewish people still participating in the Jewish practices until when. 70 AD and the destruction of the temple. And it is only after this particular issue or after this particular event, this massive event, that the the rabbinic tradition has to find a way to make use of the, to try to find a way to get around violating the Mosaic law in relation to the sacrifices and things like that. And so they then say the sacrifice of, of, uh, a Jew is love, very similar to what Jesus said. So instead of actually following Jesus, they take Jesus's principles without him <laughs> and try to pin it on the rest of the Jewish people. Yeah. It, it, it's it's the very same thing as as what 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 atheists do when they take when they try to take the Christian worldview without God. The one who gave it. Right. The blasphemy of it all is astounding to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, denying the master of the bot them, you know? Mm. Kind of thing. Um I'm still trying to figure out, especially in relation to their view of the sacrifices and the view of atonement in relation to Christ. I am still mind boggled by their explanation mm-hmm. could you could you describe to the audience because you've actually had more interaction with this issue with them what is their position oh goodness i'm not i'm still not i'm not sure if i could summarize it so well um their basic claim in the debate was they for some reason they became catholics um and they, they said that the sacrifices were really only for, um, for like accidental sin, which, yeah, there's the element in the law that the egregious sins are punished by death because life for life. And that's why Christ died on the cross mm-hmm. um, being the end of sacrifice. Um, but I don't know. Maybe you can expand upon it actually better than me. It's weird because I, I, I'm trying to figure out what exactly do they believe that Christ did? Was Christ merely, merely sacrificed to take away unintentional sin? Which, which of course, if that was the case, that led to the questions of, do you sin intentionally? Mm. And the follow-up question would have been, if you do, what's, where's your sacrifice? What is your atonement? What makes you right before God when you do sin intentionally? Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I haven't seen a, uh, a, a response to that. I honestly have not. Thoughts yeah. on that? I, there's, there's so many elements of just that principle understanding of what's happening in the atonement that are very, just every element of their system makes it difficult to understand. 
Christ can be the only righteous man because he became sin who knew no sin. He became, what was he before? He was God. He took upon himself flesh. He took upon himself the image of sin. He who himself had no sin, that sin may be condemned in his flesh, that our sin might be imputed to him, that his righteousness may clothe us as that garment we were promised in the new covenant. I, you know. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I shall take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Amen. I I honestly do not see how their their position gives them justification, gives them liberty, because the only thing that I see from their own explanations and from the people who affirm them, the only thing I see is an idolization of the Torah and a denigration of the works of Christ. Well, Doc, it's not for your salvation, but if you don't do it, it is disobeying Christ. And you know what Jesus does to the lawless ones? <laughs> Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew, knew you. Which that's, in this is off topic, but that's interesting. Hey, Arminians, if someone fell away, didn't Christ at one point know them? But anyways, anyways, back to back to the real <laughs> back to the real issue at hand. Um, <laughs> one of the the last thing that I pretty much pretty much want to issue is one of the things that I should have pressed more, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I pointed out in the end with their closing statement, because of course Seamus's closing statement was completely abysmal, especially in relation to church history. Uh, I, I mean, relying on the Ebionites to show that that Torah observers were were in church history. Give me a break. They oh. didn't believe that Paul was an apostle. They were adoptionists and they didn't believe in the virgin birth. If you're going to accept that, then just become an Orthodox Jew like you should have been already. Right. But even then. The followers of the apostles, the first followers of the apostles were not anti-Semitic. They were against the specific Orthodox Jewish practices, but they were not anti-Jewish. They realized that they suffered from the hands of Jews and Gentiles. They viewed themselves under Christ as almost a distinct race altogether because they were sojourners in a land that was not theirs. They were looking for heaven. And so, therefore, they called everyone, Jew and Greek, to fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they, of course, were not anti-Semitic. Look at freaking Marcion. Marcion was the actual pagan Gnostic and anti-Semitic. He was the one who got rid of not only the Old Testament, but Mark and Matthew and parts of Luke. And, and, and minced meated the writings of Paul whenever he, uh, whenever he quoted the Old Testament or referenced anything Jewish. That's anti-Semitism in relation to religious issues. Right. But the entire church rose up against Marcion. Polycarp, <laughs> one, of the, one of the first followers of the apostles, a disciple of John himself, Met met uh met him in the baths 
And he said, I have seen Satan himself. Hmm. So the church was not anti-Semitic. And yet, as the followers of the apostles, they did not observe the Torah, as I quoted earlier. As, as, as um, Ignatius, when he writes to the Magnesians, allegedly to the Magnesians, <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as, as Brad coyly but ignorantly said, um, the, he said that the prophets prophesied this for us to no longer keep the Sabbath day, but live in the light of the Lord's day. And no, they did not interpret it as the coming judgment. We even see that in the Didache, where, of course, in the Lord's own day, we gather together to make our sacrifices. And then after that, it gives us an expectation of the Lord's return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so means... if, if we're, if we're going to follow Jesus, why are we going to completely ignore the followers of the apostles who were the followers of Jesus. Right. Yeah, it's uh, such a big problem. I'm trying to look up that particular quote because I like, I really like the way it's, it's worded of Polycarp. I want to read it verbatim because it's, dude was, dude was, he's got that righteous indignation that so many people. Yeah. It's, it's in his, it's in his martyrdom, I believe. Um, and I clicked into his regular epistle. Uh, Let's see. Well, Ir- um, Paul, uh, Irenaeus talks about it in um, uh, Against Heresies, section three, or chapter, yeah, chapter three, book three, uh, chapter three, section four. Oh, here it is. Um, Poly- uh, so from the Martyrdom of Polycarp, section 22, subsection two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna skip just to simplify it. I'm gonna skip to where it gets good. Um, he mentions this fact also that when Martian, after whom the Martianites are called, met the holy Polycarp on one occasion and said, Recognize us, Polycarp, he said in reply to Martian, Yes, indeed, I recognize the firstborn of Satan. <laughs> 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 exactly. That, and, that is so much in character with Polycarp when you read the martyrdom where they're like, look, say away with the atheists. And Polycarp just lifts his head to the heaven and says, away with the atheists. Away with the atheists. <laughs> no, he, he points to his, um, he points to, um, he points to the people accusing him and he says, away with the atheists. You guys are the actual atheists. <laughs> right. Like and here's, it, here's what, um, um, what Irenaeus says. It says, he, Polycarp, it was who, coming to Rome in the time of Anicetus, caused many to turn away from the aforesaid heretics to the church of God, proclaiming that he had received this one one and sole truth from the apostles, that, namely, which is handed down by the church. There are also those who heard from him that John, the disciple of the Lord, was going to bathe at Ephesus, and perceiving Serenthus was with him, rushed out from the bathhouse, without bathing, exclaiming, let us fly, lest even this bathhouse fall down, because Serentius, the enemy of the truth, is within. And Polycarp himself replied to Marcion, who met him on one occasion, said, and said, do you know me? Polycarp said, I do know you, the firstborn of Satan. 
Such was the horror which the apostles and their disciples had against holding even verbal communication with any such corruptors of the truth. As Paul also says, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that knowing that he that is such is sub- subverted and sins being condemned of himself. There is also a very powerful epistle of Polycarp written to the Philippians, which we have, from which those who choose to do so and are anxious about their salvation can learn the character of his faith and the preaching of the truth. Then again, the church in Ephesus, founded by Paul and having John remaining among them permanently until the times of Trajan, is a true witness of the tradition of the apostles. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's and it's it's just crazy how people today are like, oh, that's so unchrist like your behavior. Have you read the words of Christ and his followers and those who came before? Have you oh. are you familiar with what happened on Mount Carmel? Do you know oh. the do you know the <laughs> linguistic significance of what uh, uh, Elijah suggested to the prophets of Baal? Oh no, maybe maybe he's just busy or, or, or traveling or, or, or using the bathroom or, or <laughs> deeply thinking. Hey, he's stuck on the toilet. He can't hear you. Might as well scream louder. <laughs> or 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 Jesus was a Jesus was a Pharisee. They they dogged on each other all the time. Oh yeah. Uh, colleagues dogged on each other, calling themselves broods of vipers who right. who who who, cro- who travel the world to make one convert, but end up making him more of a son of hell than you ever were. Right. And, and, and yeah, sure, sure. Our, our buddies who have the very blood of the martyrs upon them, from the, blood of, from the righteous blood of Abel to the son of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, who you killed between the altar and the holy place. Oh yeah, he was, he was a Pharisee. He was doing this just to his colleagues. Oh no, clearly, clearly he was a hippie and he'd never heard a fly. You know, he wouldn't whip cows and pigeons and goats and overturn table. Come on, it's Jesus. Uh, these people. One of the things that I, I do want to address last is um, the comment section of the debate. Uh-huh. Oh, that was, that was abysmal. The comment section was one of the worst things I have ever seen in relation in all of my years of debate <laughs> that was some of the worst behavior i have ever seen i knew the torah observants were were cultish in their behavior <laughs> but this was worse than anything i had ever seen the the christians were bad too don't get me wrong the christians were bad too but i didn't, I didn't pay attention to the chat really um i started painting I, a figure on hero form <laughs> i did i did and it was it was terrible, completely terrible. One of the things that I wanted to point out in that in that um, comment section was the utter the the claim of us being hypocrites because we apparently have the same rhetoric as progressive Christians. There's a reason why that question that basically the last audience question was, what do we think about progressive Christians? Because the reason why that person asked it was he was asserting that we use the same rhetoric that the progressive Christians do, which I I want to address. You have anything to say before I address it? 
So you're asking, it's basically implying that you deny that God has spoken. That's how I see progressive Christianity, or at least if in inconsistent application of when God did and did not speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I just, I find it rather ironic because it is the foundation of, of the Hebrew roots movement. That is the same foundation of the progressive Christians, because what is the foundation of both groups that the church has lied to you? You can't trust Paul because Peter says that some things in Paul are hard to understand. And therefore, Paul is against Jesus. And so you must first interpret what you believe about Jesus and then transport it in relation to Paul. The only thing wrong is that, I mean, the only thing that differs from the progressive Christians to the Torah roots movement is because the progressive Christians have gone farther. They reject them all. Mm-hmm. They reject the entirety of the scriptures and then create a Jesus in their own image and press it against the church, against the Bible, against anything that they find disagreeable. While we do not, we reject them both, both progressive Christianity and Hebrew roots, because we believe that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what Paul says is the interpretation of what Jesus knows of what he proclaimed and what the apostles proclaimed. There is no difference between Paul and Jesus. And we can take Paul at his word and we can take Jesus at his word and we can do it verse by verse doing doing clear, actual, exegetical word studies and showing that the word of God is true in everything that it says. Paul, Paul who himself says that Jesus in Romans 5.1 is the God, uh, sorry, 9-5, is the God above all things, the above all things God, forever praised, mm-hmm. amen. I, I once, I when I first met him, I once pressed Brad on that. He never really gave the proper answer. Seamus uh, did absolute mincemeat to the Greek rendering of the text. And I can't wait for the debate to point for for our friends Tyler and and. Um, uh, proselytize and apostatize to point out the abysmal exegesis because I, I'm going to be honest with you. Brandon and Seamus are smart in relation to rabbinic tradition, mm-hmm. but they're terrible in relation to the original language of Greek. Yeah. That's, they, they do not know it. Right. And that's why I ended up saying to him, like, you of all people should know the Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever when he calls into question John. the textual transmission yep. of the New Testament. Well, I mean, guess, I mean, whenever, whenever these particular issues come up, especially in relation to textual criticism or things like that, who do they lean on? They Skeptics lean on the them. atheist. They lean or- on Captain Dadpool. Uh, and yeah. So, so, so in, in trying to argue against believers who actually believe that the word of God has been perfectly preserved, he leans on an atheist who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, who, do, who, who, who does not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh in any way, just because he comes from Liberty University 
and 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 can and can talk with a smug personality as good as them. Oh yeah. <sighs> it's sad. So, would you like to answer the one question we have for today? Sure. From our dear Theophilus, um, from the Discord, um, Aspie Bard asks: hey. Some progressive Christians argue that the second coming of Christ is being fulfilled right now in every believer that walks and lives according to his teachings. To quote one minister, we are the second coming. I don't know who that is. I would have loved to have been able to try to impersonate. Um, how do you respond? And why does the second coming of Christ matter? Ooh, that's a really good concluding from, uh, from him, or in question. Uh, Let's if you'd see. like to tackle it first. I believe there is a passage um... And, and Paul, where he says that some heretics have said that Christ has come already. Hmm. And let's see. Let me, let me look. I think, yeah, there is a passage like that. Um, well, let, Paul- here, here it is. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, well, starting at verse one, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together in him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily disconcerted or alarmed by any spirit or message or letter seeming to be from us, allegedly alleging that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, is revealed. So, so here... Paul already says Uh-oh. I'm back <laughs> that was weird I last time we talked for like two hours I don't think that happened <laughs> yeah I know I guess I guess anchor must have kicked me out for some reason but, was- I, but but like I was like I was saying I mean Paul already expects people to have who have who have said that Christ has already come and, and it doesn't make any sense because right. Paul expects the man of lawlessness to appear. So first and foremost, it, it doesn't fit the biblical text. Second of all, the, these are coming from people who don't even believe that the resurrection physically happened. So if, okay. if, if you can't believe that the, that the first coming happened in the resurrection and the, the physical resurrection of Jesus, how can you make a biblical explanation of the of of the second coming the book of hebrews says that christ came first christ came the first time to deal with sin and will come a second time for those who love him so and and to to ask about the 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 importance of the second coming the importance of the second coming is to is to show that god will not be outdone that God will keep his promises, that, that he will restore everything that was wrong. All the things that are wrong are made right. Christ will establish his kingdom on earth as Revelation 22 and, and 21 says, Behold, the, the tabernacle of the Lord is with men. Everyone shall see the Lord in his glory. Everyone shall be, everyone shall vindicate Christ for the work that he has done. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His gospel will have reached across the nations and every eye will see him. It's not that he, that he, that, that he has come in every, in every heart. 
but every eye will see him. The resurrection will happen. We will be united soul and body once again, and everything shall be as it was in Eden, and not even as it was in Eden. It will be taken higher than it was in Eden. Just as, just as the world began in a garden, it will end in a garden with God and man side by side in unity forever and ever. That is the hope that we have. That is the blessings that have been gained to us by Christ. That is the promise and the blessed hope that we have as Christians. And that is why we sojourn in this land, not being, being in the world, but not of the world, so that the world might see the glory of the coming of the Lord. I don't think I could have begun to do it better myself. But, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's eh. the, the foundation of everything that the progressive has to say is just abhorrently false. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, if, if you're thinking about attending a progressive church, you might as well throw out your Bible on your way out the door. Right. Uh, because you're not going to hear it preached there the best you're going to hear is preaching out of a book that has been highlighted with a Sharpie. <laughs> you're, uh, you're going to hear, you're going to hear words from female Lutheran pastors that say that the, that the great commission is white supremacy. I, so it's, it's as, as if the, as if the retort were true Nazareth can anything good come from there <laughs> it's I mean I mean from the actual words of Christ by your by their fruits you shall know them yeah and the fruits of the progressive church are not biblically sound it is it is by nature death it is death of actual language because if you disagree with them, you're automatically a sexist, a racist, a bigot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It is the death of honest dialogue. It is the death of biblical sexuality. It is the death of biblical roles in relation to not only the family, but the church. It is, it is the death of everything that God has created from its root. And it is the death of the preaching of the gospel. Because if you do not have the gospel, you have nothing good to say if progressive christianity comes into a church it by nature will kill it because that is what it was created to do that is what it was born to do and that is what it cannot help but do it will kill the church and although they know the ordinance of god that those who practice such things are worthy of death they not only do the same but also give hearty approval to those who practice them Amen. The tail ends of Romans 1. And with that, I must thank you once again. I'm so ha- I'm, I'm ha- I'm happy to have you on here. I'm happy to have people on here. Um, people who, for as, advanced, for as advanced a laity as I am, you, you, you strive for capacities above laity. Um, <laughs> and that is amazing and impressive. And the Lord has used you to do great things in the realms that you've done your apologetics. Thank you, brother. I, re- I really do appreciate that. I mean, uh, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I myself am, am nothing much on my own. The anything that I have, everything that I have, is because of Christ and His mercy and His provision alone. I can't. What, what, what do the scriptures say? Not, not to us, but to Your name be the glory forever and ever. All righty, I'll uh, catch you when I catch you next week. We're having your partner from that debate on here to give his debrief on things. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Oh, and also um, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow at around 6.30 central time. And what, what would that, that would be what, 4.30 your time? Maybe. Mm, sort of. Um, ba- basically, at around 6.30 to 7 o'clock central, um, uh, my podcast and Knowles and, and Andrews and Blake's The Men of the Way podcast are gathering together again to uh for our third episode and we're going to be doing a a full recap of the debate there uh my friends have taken basically the lead on this one because i took the lead last uh last weekend and am preparing my sermon uh for sunday this weekend and so it's going to be a real it's going to be a real fun one analyzing the debate analyzing the arguments that they made and um showing how the the debate and the the arguments that our opponents have made were completely untenable in and of themselves in relation to the biblical text uh as well as other things so uh keep an eye on that yeah and for my friends who are in the same time zone as me but for some reason we're not ordained to be in the same state as me so as we could meet up um that is 4 a.m for us yes well 4 p.m or p well okay yeah i didn't put an am or pm so google assumed am so <laughs> <laughs> and i just read verbatim uh so <laughs> no, you're cool i was uh, about to say doing that that early in the morning oh man i get up <laughs> i get up at that time to head to class hey i could be there on a friday that early because uh i don't work fridays thank god that's how uh, i can do this right here this podcast right i don't have i don't have school on fridays and the church um, uh, the church staff doesn't really come in on Friday. So I was, I was free, uh, for most of the time. And once I get done with this, I'm going to start doing some, uh, some sermon prep. I'm going to be preaching on, uh, Hebrews chapter six, verses 13 through 20, uh, mm. the anchor of the soul and God's unchangeable promise. I am really excited for this one. I, I would be very interested if you would send me your exegesis of the Arminian go-to from that passage. Uh, the the those who have once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift things things like that yes ah yes i actually um i think in one of the first few episodes that we did together i actually walked through this passage with you a few times before hmm. i mean this was this was back when you were learning about calvinism right right back when i was desperately searching for that answer of what 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 is the basis of god's election per God's <laughs> yes, yes, God's eternal purpose, which is uh, which was which is great. I mean, this the, the entire the the past few days have been a a full re uh, reaffirmation of that particular thing. Because on Wednesday, I was teaching on uh, question seven of the Westminster Shorter Catechism about God's eternal decrees, and it was I mean I I preached on you know God's eternal purposes. And all the decrees combine in God's eternal purposes. There's a reason why 
And because of that, that's why free will matters. That's why um, uh, uh, there's no plan B with God. Uh, our God ordains the ends and the means for our salvation, so we don't need to rack our brains about our evangelism. We don't need to break ourselves, <laughs> right? And it, it's uh, it, it's so beautiful, and I mean that 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 was continually affirmed on um, uh, yesterday, and, and talking to a few friends of mine who are just starting to be reformed uh, at my new uh, at my new uh, seminary. So it was God has been showing Himself. Yeah. Yep. Well, alrighty. Sounds like you have a sermon to prep for. So I do. <laughs> I don't want to hold you up any longer. Thank you. Thank you for every benefit you've had to me and to this podcast and to the body of Christ. May God continue to use you and to keep you. It is an honor to serve, and may God continually bless uh, keep and, and protect and grow you so that you can continue to be a blessing to all who fall under the sound of your voice. All righty. Till we meet again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Theophilus, that was a decently long program. I need to go grab my NIV, and then we can wrap this up. All right. As always, Theophilus, we come to Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. We read the words that Jesus spake to his disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you on account of Christ. Rejoice and be glad, for in this for great is your reward, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go in the peace and love of our sovereign Lord and Savior. <laughs>